0: My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Adapia DiRico. Adapia, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Hi, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So why don't you start off by telling our listeners who you are and where you're from?
1: So I'm Adapia DiRico. I currently live in Los Angeles. I'm originally from Canada. Uh, My parents are immigrants from Italy. So Italian is actually my first language. Uh, Grew up in Canada, moved to Europe in my 20s. And uh, I've been in the LA area for about nine years.
0: Awesome. Sounds good. Well, you're close to me. I'm in Huntington Beach. So just uh, about an hour away. And uh, I've spent some time overseas as well. I've lived in Bali and Australia and some some different areas. So that's awesome. And now today, um, you're doing some awesome things with capital and the commercial real estate world with Alpha Investing. Um, But before we get into that, I would love to talk about what got you into real estate. You know, what was your first exposure? to the real estate industry and all the possibilities they're within.
1: Yeah, so my first exposure to real estate uh, professionally, let's say, is I joined one of the very, very early crowdfunding real estate crowdfunding firms back in late 2013 and helped to launch that. I was employee number one. So I came at it from an entrepreneurial perspective. I have a background in finance. I started working in a bank when I was 18. So I had that background, uh, but I came into it from the crowdfunding side, from the marketing side and the branding side. And I ended up launching that company, kind of largely launching the industry because it was brand new. Like I was out doing all the conferences and I got into the fintech industry and just that was my first exposure. And that was actually on the hard money side because it was a hard money lending platform. Um now I'm on the on the commercial equity side, but Until that time, and even with my background and like all my financial, um, you know, securities courses, this, that, and the other thing, I had had zero exposure to real estate investing as a professional investor. So I owned a couple of like, you know, I owned a condo here and there in Canada, because at some point I knew that it was a good investment, but that is not even close to being the same thing as like investing in real estate, the way that's actually... Largely only possible in America, to be honest, in the u s. So uh, it's wild ride, wild ride. Like you can't syndicate in Canada like you can here. It just doesn't exist. You don't have the same returns,
0: interesting. Mm-hmm. yeah. so with that being said, I am so grateful for the real estate opportunity in the United States. I'm constantly reminded of it when I go overseas and, the best thing that you can do as a foreigner is have a 99-year lease. You can't actually have fee simple estate land that you own outright and that you can either buy cash or pay off, and then be able to hold it and let it appreciate or do whatever you want with it, um, have it rezoned, and, you know, buy a 500-unit apartment with a bunch of investors as a syndication. Oh. Like, there's so many opportunities to to make money in real estate in the United States, and I'm really grateful for that. So, would love to now dive into alpha investing. You know, I'm a commercial real estate agent and I focus on five to 50 unit because that's kind of like under the amount that the real estate investment trusts are, are dealing with, right? They're all like hundred unit plus. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of found this little niche where I can still call off of a title and talk to a mom and pop, you know, I talk directly to the seller. It's not like I have to go through uh, a bunch of different gatekeepers to try and get to the uh, acquisitions department or the disposition department and all this stuff. So um, I found my little niche there. But it seems like when you said the word syndication, you're dealing with bigger deals and then allowing investors to be able to have access to a, a portion of those based on their investment. So uh, exactly. I'll, I'll let you take it away. I don't, I don't want to. Yeah,
1: No, <laughs> you you got it. That's exactly what it is. And, you know, it's interesting because crowd, like we don't crowdfund. And when crowdfunding was kind of first came out in real estate, because real estate was really the first piece of the jobs act and of like the crowdfunding legislations that worked, it would be, it took years. It took until 2016 for crowdfunding to work at the level of investing in, um, you know, like the next Facebook, so to speak, like that didn't actually happen for retail until a lot later. And so when I got into real estate crowdfunding, I was so excited. I was like, oh, we're going to disrupt this industry, blah, blah, blah and all these people who had been syndicating for their whole entire careers were like yeah we've been doing this forever it's called syndication you're just doing okay. it with a website and you know we were like yes we are because that's the future it's website it's internet marketing it's having a brand it's building trust it's not the country club anymore so fast forward all these years later and you know a lot of people syndicate it doesn't have to be crowdfunding and what it did is it actually brought a lot of people up it brought their game up they all had to step up so other syndicators that have been doing this like even some of the larger ones they they were kind of caught on the back foot because they were used to just doing that private deal and then all of a sudden they were realizing that hold on a second there's actually a ton of capital out there which is true because the whole idea is so many people don't know that they can invest in real estate this way even in America, but most people don't even know that that's an opportunity for them. So, and so then all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, there's a ton of capital. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who want to do this. And so now it's a giant industry and there are people who syndicate who will buy from you, right? Like you'll facilitate this, the the purchase and sale of even like a 50 unit and they'll go raise capital in their own little syndication and they'll be on LinkedIn and doing all their thing. So we're a little different because we're more private equity. So we're working with 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 bigger buildings, essentially a couple hundred units or more. So we work with the, we call them the sponsor. So the, the entity purchasing the GP to facilitate like anywhere between like five and $20 million equity checks into that project. And so we collect that money from our investor base and we present opportunities that we underwrite because you and I know real estate is a great opportunity. And so do some people. Most people know that what they don't know is how to understand how to underwrite that opportunity. How do I know if it's a good opportunity? Like, is it a risk adjusted opportunity relative to what? Is it good relative to what? How can I trust what this person is telling me is going to be my returns? I don't know what to do. So, that's the role that we play. So, for the sponsor, for the general partner, we are like sure capital. Like, we will close the deal. Like, we come to the table with the money, which is, you know, you got to show up with your money or your deal is done. And then for our investors, we bring them opportunities that they don't have to figure out whether it's a good opportunity because we've underwritten it so that they know what's you know what the projections are, what the sensitivity analysis is, what's going on, et cetera. And then they can make a decision to invest. So it's kind of like that, that sweet spot. We also do senior housing and we do single family rental. So it's different asset classes. Yeah, so there's a lot of opportunity and that's what we do.
0: Interesting. And then if I understand correctly, the general partners, m- more major investment allows the limited partners to kind of tack on to deals that are already existing and bigger than they would ever be able to put together themselves.
1: Exactly. Yeah. A part of it, right? And for its lower minimum. So like we collectively will write a $20 million check but our investors are cutting $100,000 checks or, you know, 50, 100, 200, whatever people want to write. So you actually have access to institutional real estate at minimums that are just unheard of. You you wouldn't even be able to take a call. They won't even take your call if you can't write a seven-figure check
0: consistently. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes total sense. And I love that. And you're so right about the seemingly infinite capital that's around you with all of the investors or the retirees or the people that just save and they kind of don't know what to do with their their money. And then they also think that if they want to be a real estate investor, they have to find the deal, they have to fund it 100%. If there's any repairs they need to do with themselves, Like that's kind of the perception, right? It's like, oh, this is all the risk on me. This is I don't have any of this training. I'm busy with my full-time job. But in reality, with resources like this, they have the ability to tack on to existing deals that are profitable and operating with or without them. And it can be passive. Like you said, just cut a check, get a return. So that's a huge opportunity. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the website. So the difference between syndication and crowdfunding was basically like, yeah, we're doing it with a website. (laughs) So is alpha investing in Mm -hmm. an ability for someone to like find it through SEO or through digital marketing? and then like submit a form and kind of like be, become a new person in this network of investors?
1: I mean, yes, we have a website and you can request access. We don't crowdfund specifically. So I'm, I'm going to really take that whole marketing and, sure. and like online thing a little bit further. So we don't try to get Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, We're really far more in that private equity. Like, I text my investors, I call, like, we're super hands on because what crowdfunding aims to do is really get the crowd. So, as many people as possible, smaller checks, more automated. Almost zero personal touch because that's the whole right. idea is to scale at volume. You need speed, and you can't spend hours and hours on the phone with investors trying to like talk to them. So we're more on that private equity side where we'll have I'm constantly on the phone with my investors and like you know they're writing big checks. Like that's a lot of money. That's hard earned money, and so they, you know they they want to understand what they're investing in. So that's that's what we do. So. In its technicality, you can go online and you can you know you can Google different things and you'll come across like if you Google real estate crowdfunding like some of the the big top platforms will come up. So, but there's so much there's so much opportunity. There's continues to be a lot of opportunity even in this market. Um, we expect there to be ongoing opportunity for the next several years, and it's not like it's competitive, but it's actually not that competitive because everybody's found like you, like you found your niche, like you found your role. And then people come to a place where they like that experience that they're having. Some people want to be totally hands-off. They don't care. They just want to like invest in as many deals as possible. Other people prefer this approach that we have where it's fewer deals, far more curated, like far more curated and a lot more hands-on. So our website's kind of bare bones. So we're like an old school version of modern capital raising. Like we're, we're kind of old school in our approach, you know, but we have a website and people can can find, like certainly find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty public facing. So um, it, to me, it's been the best of both worlds.
0: Yeah. And I like that the focus is still on the relationship. Mm -hmm. Which when I have all these conversations with top real estate professionals who are doing well in whatever area of real estate, whether it's investing, mortgage, or the real estate sales side, it always comes back to the relationships that they have with their clients. So that totally makes sense that you've maintained that hyper-focus on relationship building and kept it a little bit more on the private equity side, even though you you do have the website, and you know you you are still innovative and tech focused. So, love to hear that. And now, I would love to just learn kind of what deal volume you're doing, and then would love to have some follow up questions based on that. So, uh, do you have like an assets under management number or any t- anything that you'd like to share just to give context to you sure. know, where you're at now?
1: Yeah, so we're smaller. As it, you know, if people hear private equity, they might think BlackRock. Um, so, you know, we're we're to date. So we got started in 2014, and um, to date, we've facilitated over 100 million dollars in 52 transactions with a total asset value of about 1.8 billion. So we've we've done that across 20 states and seven different asset classes. So um, even though we're really really focused on multifamily on senior housing and on the single family rental portfolio today, we've had other opportunities here and there like self storage or office, and we did some student housing. So we've had a couple other opportunities. But these are the ones that we really decided to focus on because they're needs based. So like everybody needs a place to live. And so that's been like a really big focus and specifically with the multifamily and the single family rental it's what's called workforce housing so it's not like your you know your big fancy like new york miami um, or even like downtown la like apartments um it's really working it's like really working class and so which is called class b as, as, I'm, as I'm sure you know so like that's what we're focused on and then in the single family space that dovetails into this because really the pandemic has pushed forward a lot of um, trends that were already happening. And one of them has been that really a lot of people live in single family rentals already, but more and more, there's more and more people who either don't want to own their own home or can't, which is an unfortunate truth. And so there's more renters and there's an expectation of there being more renters Especially with what's going on with the economy and with inflation, especially, so there's a lot of factors there that actually, from an investor's perspective, are in the favor of the investor, and so the single-family rental space in the on the workforce side in tertiary markets is actually a place also where larger institutional capital is starting to turn its attention.
0: Yeah, and I've I've definitely noticed that that the the larger institutional capital has started to pour into the single family, uh, which historically wasn't really the case. Uh, they kind of stayed away from that and were doing much more high volume, high unit multifamily. Yep. One thing that I wanted to ask was about, you mentioned workforce housing. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever done any, anything with modular housing?
1: No, no, I have not.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I, I asked that because the uh, Keystone Pipeline deal that fell through, I actually have... The contact who's my business associate uh, they locked in the contract to liquidate all of the steel and wow. all of the workforce housing so they have tons of modular housing that's you know already fabricated and never was used and they're they're working with some uh, potential deals it's a long term enterprise sale i mean there's major volume for yeah. that but um they're working with things like the border in california for refugees the the afghani refugees that just recently happened and the you know Los Angeles homeless um, yeah. potentially so they're they're thinking of different ways to to you know put this out there and get some solutions together. Mm-hmm. But um, when you mentioned workforce housing, I was like, yeah. huh, I wonder if. Uh, if they have any connections for uh, that. so
1: Oh, uh, well, right. I hope it gets put to good use. Um, I will think on that. And I have a, a pretty big network of people that do all kinds of different things. So I'm certainly, I'm certain I can find some people to connect you to because, you know, especially when you talk about the need for housing, Especially mm-hmm. on the on like the lower end of of the spectrum, there's a there's a massive need for that. I mean, we've we've done several affordable housing apartments as well, and there's just a massive massive need for appropriate like housing where people can live in dignity. It's so
0: important, right? right. And there's a housing shortage. I mean, we're oh, yeah so underbuilt as a nation from <laughs> since the recession. Really, um, right. there's been underbuilding for a decade. And you know that's not going to stop. I mean, our population's increasing, and and we're trying to catch up as fast as we can with the underbuilding. But now materials and supply chain issues, and yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. there's a, myri- a myriad of of problems that are helping yeah. uh, just keep the housing supply low. And yeah. so, you know, one of the questions that my commercial real estate mentors always asks is, you know, what is in the way of the path of progress? And mm. going back to zoning, you know, what's the highest and best use of, of this land? Well, food, water, shelter, right? People need a place to live. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, single family and multifamily, you know, that's why I've, I've really hung my hat on the multifamily yep. uh, because, you know, in, in my opinion, like that type of housing is going to be so in demand over the next decade. Yep. So with that being said, um, really appreciate you sharing, you know, where you're at today. you have certainly accomplished a lot and what I'm curious about is, you know, what's the single most important action that you take on a daily basis that has attributed most to your success? The reason I ask that is because this whole podcast is about action items for success. Mm -hmm. And I've found in in my career that, you know, when things happen in your head, that's one thing, but once you take action on them consistently over a long period of time, that's when the results really happen. So the goal of this podcast, the entire idea was to interview top real estate professionals. And through the interviews, be able to distill down the action items for success those that mm-hmm. one or two things that they do that's that's different or that from doing it as a habit consistently created incredible results even mm-hmm. if it's really simple mm-hmm. so does anything come to mm-hmm. mind when I'm, when I'm asking that question
1: yeah like a, like a couple things and one might might seem antithetical because i agree that everything is about consistency like you, you just have to show up every day. You just have to con- like constantly show up. I think when I say antithetical, it's because I show up every day and I do my work every day, but every day looks different. And that's really important for me because I need, I need a certain amount of space base to be successful. Like there are days where I need to be doing a lot more research, like I need to be in the macroeconomics, I need to be really understanding what's going on so that when I have my phone calls with my investors that I'm you know, I'm making sense, I'm not just saying, you know, whatever, like I actually know what I'm talking about. And and so it's a consistency but it's also a flexibility in that consistency that at least for me I really need. I'm not the person that's like I do time block and I live according to my calendar and I give myself a lot of space in my calendar. And that's helped me be really successful is the flexibility so that if I need to take calls that were not expected, I can take those calls that day. You know, so that, that's that been for me like a, like a really big um, part of my success, which has a lot to do with redefining what I think it means to work, right? Like what is what is work? Am I working when I'm on a podcast? Yes, I am. I didn't used to think that, right? And so there's like, there's a lot of that for me. And and that's the second thing that has actually helped me be really successful, which is a little more intangible, which is a constant refinement of my understanding of myself. Um, So I do a lot of self-reflection. I'm always trying to understand myself, not necessarily improve because I... I mean, there's always stuff to improve, but I can get really obsessive about what's wrong. And then you get stuck on there instead of saying, well, I'm always trying to improve myself. I'm not, I'm trying to feel like at my best every day. And so that's a lot of self-acceptance. So that's a big piece. And that turns into the kinds of relationships that I have with people because they consider me to be very authentic. They trust me. Um, they know I'll do right by them. They know that I'm very honest and I know my limits. And that's gone a really long way in my success overall, like whether it's with my investors or my partners or, um, you know, meeting people like you where I show up really hundred percent as who I am. And I think that foundation has allowed me to, to really succeed.
0: Wow. I really liked what you said about time blocking and living by your calendar, but creating space. Mm-hmm. And you know, I call that buffer time. Mm-hmm. I don't put enough buffer time in my calendar because when you get really disciplined on every single week, planning out your next week and time blocking and having your different roles that you need to achieve, especially if you're, if you're hands in different businesses, it's really easy to fill that calendar mm-hmm. Monday through Friday, or even on the weekends and bleed it past five PM, and you're like, man, there's so much to do, and I can put it in there and just start taking, you know, everything down one by one. But then, uh, like you said, a phone call comes in, or you know, an unexpected meeting, or something runs over. You thought it was going to take thirty minutes; it took an hour and a half, or wh- whatever it is. And and so, I think that's a really big principle to pull out of everything that you said is like, don't overcommit yourself on a daily basis. I find so often that Monday, Tuesday. Are insane. I'm working, you know, until eight o'clock at night or, or even later, and then Thursday, Friday are kind of light. And I'm like, why didn't I just balance it more throughout <laughs> the week? Yeah. you know, and and have a better quality of life. But you know, for me, I get into these flow states where I'm just executing, executing, executing. And I kind of don't want it to stop because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, like I, I don't want to miss out on this this concentration, this energy. But having that buffer time, and I think creating more gaps and. Being a little kinder to myself would would be a benefit. So uh, maybe my listeners uh, got something out of that. So I'm curious how you're sourcing deals. I mean, you're talking about big institutional deals. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how are these coming across your desk?
1: Um, well, they come across from our sponsors. So. It's really how we're sourcing our sponsors because we only work with a handful of sponsors. So we are recurring capital partners to them. So once we've locked in on a sponsor, it takes us about six months, if not more, to really get to know them, to to vet them, To do we want to work with them? And then they're gonna, and then they send us deals. And so, with a lot of our partners, we've you know done um, dozens and dozens of deals with them. And so we know them; they know us. There's a lot of accountability. um, There's a lot of capital. So um, that's really it. So it's it's kind of the same. And most of it is from referrals. And that's also largely also how we get our investors is from referrals and recommendations. Mm-hmm. So, and that goes back to that trust building and that that very hands-on kind of like white glove, if you will, approach. And really, I guess you could call it from a brand perspective is we are exclusive. We're closed. We're not a public network. We're not crowdfunding. So, people come to us having an understanding of who we are and also how we operate. So everything, everything is through referral in, in our business.
0: That makes sense. Can you dive in a little bit deeper on what a sponsor means to you, what, what that term sponsor Oh, means? sure,
1: sure, sure. Yeah. So the sponsor is going to be the operator. So it's going to be the general partner. So that sponsor for us is an entity or partners who have at a minimum half a billion of AUM or transactional experience. So um, very experienced. They are executing consistently especially in this market. Um, so it's not just like, oh, I'm doing one deal a year, you know, here and there, like, it's like they're consistently, you know, doing what they do, making acquisitions, dispositions, etc. So very active sponsors, very experienced sponsors. And they are the ones who, you know, for, for those listening, they're the ones who are purchasing the asset. So let's say they're purchasing the apartment, they're going to buy it, they're going to fix it up to the degree that that's part of their business plan. The idea being that they want to raise rents. Right, because they they want the the net operating income to be higher. They want to reduce expenses, so they want to find efficient or inefficiencies and make them efficient. Um, with the overall idea, in three to five years, to sell the building at a premium compared to what they paid for it today, and that premium right. comes a little bit from market, right? Because if if the market is wants to pay more for the building, it's really going to come on the value of the rents. So have they done a really good job of improving the tenant base, like raising rents and keeping high occupancy? So that's really right. the value. So that's that's the sponsor. It's basically like every building is its own business plan.
0: Makes sense. And that's how we run it Even in the five to 50 unit, right? For mm-hmm. multifamily. You know, you might buy a building for a 13X multiplier on rents, but then over maybe a one-year flip, if you just do a a quick bridge and then you want to flip it, or maybe a three to five-year exit, you increase the efficiencies, do carpets and paint, you know, increase the rent, um, so then all of a sudden... Now you're getting not only a higher multiplier, maybe you're getting a 15 multiplier because it's it's now in yes. premium condition, getting full market rent, but the rents are higher and the profits higher. So it's yes. it's this multiplying compounding effect. And that's what I really fell in love with with multifamily. With single family, it's one door. You do carpets and paint, one rent goes up. But right. with multifamily, you do carpet and paint on a 12 unit. 12 rents go up. Yeah. So that multiplying factor, I just saw the potential and dove in and loved yeah. it. So yeah. really, yeah. really awesome to hear, you know, it's even at scale at 500 units, it's a pretty it's similar same, business plan. It's the same yeah.
1: business plan. It's rinse and repeat. Yeah. It's just like, like a little bit bigger. Yeah. So then you talk about the economies of scale of your materials and your ability to enter a market and build relationships with brokers so that you can get, mm-hmm. you know, if at all possible these days, off market deals. And they are possible because we're getting them so there's a lot there and and you know just quickly to touch on like a single family so 50% of apartments are owned by institutions in america so 50% of all apartments are owned by institutions 1% of the single family rental space is owned by institutions and yet 60% of rentals are single family rentals so because of what you said oh my god one door I gotta go do this. How am I gonna figure this out? How do I know what's going on? And so what we started to do is we partnered with a with a GP. And what we're doing is we're going into markets and we're buying hundreds of doors. And we're using the sim like a similar strategy of that economies of scale. And we're buying to build portfolios. And then those portfolios, once they're built up to several thousand, go and get sold to the institutions because they are coming in really hot and heavy into the sector because the yields are so much higher. Um, So, you know, so when you see that big ship kind of turn towards you, you want to like get positioned, but it's really challenging to do. And it's the most fragmented space in investing. There's everybody owns a second home it seems like not everybody but you know like there are a lot and there's some people who own like 10 or 15 or 20 50 100 couple hundred there's some people that own several thousand but the scale of it is really challenging to achieve and yet the return potential and the profit potential um currently because multifamily is so competitive as uh, competitive and i would love to hear your thoughts on that and what you're seeing is that there's a different opportunity, but executing on it is really challenging. And it took us years to find an operator, a sponsor partner to do the single family, because we didn't want to be the ones like, I'm not going and rebuilding that home. And and like, I'm not redoing the floors and the bath, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like the whole idea is to be passive. So um, yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on that though.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So a few things come to mind. Number one, I love the idea of buying a hundred houses, single family in a market, and the economies of scale still makes sense because you could renovate them all the same base, same materials and do the same hardwood floors or whatever you're doing, the same countertops, the same this, and then you're still getting that um, reduction in labor and the reduction in cost of materials. And so that idea of having the capital to do it, that was the only constraint. Why wouldn't people do this in the past? Well if you're a mom-and-pop investor and you have 15 houses, you don't have $100 million at your disposal to just go buy, you know, 500 homes in the market. So I think that was really the only constraint for not doing this in the past. So I love that concept. And I do know of a company, I can't talk too much about them because they do work with BlackRock and they're pretty big. And I'm not sure, it's actually my wife's brother-in-law and Mm -hmm. he's like high up there and so we've had some conversations about what they're doing in in the single family space um you know starting to really convert a lot of homes into rentals and add them to the portfolio on the single family side and it's just buy and hold forever they just buy and hold um so on the side of the multifamily competition Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, cap rates are extremely compressed. I mean, you're in Los Angeles. I'm in, I'm in down here in Huntington Beach. And I mean, we're talking three cap, four cap. I've seen, you know, things listed in the twos. uh, And the the seller always wants to get the lowest cap rate. The buyer wants to get the highest. Right. So Mm -hmm. then you're trying to meet somewhere in the middle. And, you know, with that being said, the opportunity, I I know an investor who owns a thousand doors in Orange County. Mm -hmm. And, he says, I'll, I'll blow the guy's doors off all day that is doing the one-year flip because he has to keep rebuying and entering the market as it's going up. For yeah. me, even though I'm buying and the cap rates are low, those, those mortgages are being paid down. And I mean, I have an empire to leverage right. and go buy more properties. So the opportunity is still there. Um, I really encourage investors to see past the cap rate because they want to go after, oh, in the Midwest, I can get a 12 cap. Yeah, but you don't live there. And so what if something happens, you got to like go fly out to go see your property, like if you live in Southern California and you make decent money, you can still invest here. Right. And so I really encourage like look past the cap rate. We can still do a lot with this. We could still do the same business model, carpets and paint, increase efficiency, sell it for a multiplier. Like it all still applies. Right. So super competitive, super compressed cap rates, but there's still opportunity to be had. That's my, my take on it. I agree. So. I'm curious in the last five years, if you have a new uh, belief, behavior, or habit that has most improved your life, you know, anything that just it's like the magic bullet for, uh, living a, a better or higher quality life.
1: In the past five years, has actually been my 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 contemplation practice, that self reflection that I was talking about. So um, it's really been a spiritual journey, actually that has completely altered my life, and in in such a huge way. It's almost like it, I, I can't even like compare five years ago to today. In a, in a sense, it's, it's I'm such a different person, so much more centered and poised, and really able to you know even though it's a spiritual journey it really manifests like to use that word in like real world like my ability to succeed and 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 to attain and to achieve as just exponential because i've taken the time to really try to to do a practice of self mastery so that that in that improvement, that betterment, but really it's a self knowledge. Um, so that's completely altered my life. And a lot of that has to do with like, you know, the, not just the buffer time that came as a result of just taking the time to begin with, with like, whether it's a meditation practice or yoga or prayer or what have you, but it's totally completely altered my life. And so I also really like to tell people like spirituality and like work and success are not mutually exclusive in my experience, one has been like the foundation of the other in a sustainable way that feels good and that's meaningful. It's not empty, right? It's like I'm succeeding in a way that is like, it's like everything I ever thought I wanted, but it comes from a place of meaning and I'm making such a bigger impact. And my whole perspective on wealth and life is, is so much broader um, and richer.
0: That is really powerful in the sense of combining spirituality with business. I think mind Valley has done a, a good job of, of kind of bridging that gap. A lot of the, um, Silicon Valley, you know, high paid corporate, like, kind of, they have a life where many of them have like ping pong tables and the startups and all that, but they still work all the time yeah. and, and, that lack of focus on on self awareness, meditation, and contemplation, really like swung back the other way. You know, if we're thinking of a pendulum, towards now it's very celebrated to have mindfulness practices in the workplace, which I think is phenomenal. I do I too. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. So I love that. I'm a pretty big on you know meditation. A lot of. Eastern teachings. Like I said, I've lived in Southeast Asia, I've lived in Australia, so I kind of have a smoothie of different uh, meditation and spirituality. And so I think it's a huge, huge factor just in your overall well being, not only your physical well being and the foods, treating and the physical activity that you're getting, but also then what you're feeding your mind. We just finished October, which in the United States, Halloween's huge, and there's a ton of horror and terror movies on. I yeah. don't watch any of that. Yeah. I don't subject my mindset to that. And, you know, for me, that's just a choice, but it's, it's another little choice in the right direction for me to continue feeding my mind in in the proper way, continue having positive inputs, you know, wake up, listen to personal development and things like that, rather than throwing on the radio for the latest hits or, you know, so all those things I think have a compound effect and glad to hear that you seem to have a similar idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's so good to hear that from you as well. And I think the more people hear that, then the more that they, it's almost like we just give each other and ourselves permission because everyone's Mm -hmm. seeking that, like that, that seeking is, is a real thing for all of us. And so I'm very forward about it. And, and then it just opens so many doors and then people are saying, oh, like me too. And, and then you just, you know, and then all of a sudden you kind of wake up one day and like, everyone's on a journey and they're kind of admitting it because before they didn't want to, and then they realize, why didn't I want to, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. And I really think this is honestly like, this is how we we one hundred percent do better uh, for ourselves and for the people around us, and even as investors in real estate, I think we have a huge responsibility. Like we're not out to gouge people, we're not out to be slumlords. Like we can change people's lives, and I like to think of it that way when I think about the investing that I do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And like we talked about in, earlier in the podcast as well. Providing affordable housing, yeah. you know, providing housing in general. I mean, yeah. invest investors are a big reason why this whole thing moves forward. So, yeah, I definitely have a, a positive look on investors. They're my clients. They're who I'm working with every day, and they also encourage. You know, a, a lot of the people around them they're they're handing out rich dad poor dad to, yeah. to all their all their friends. Like, yeah. get into this. Why aren't yeah. you guys doing it? They're yeah. like trying to get other people into it. So I they're know. good people. Yeah. <laughs> So, is there a question that I should have asked you, or anything that you'd like to expand upon from earlier?
1: Um, no, I actually really love how we ended it. I would say I really like that that topic, and um, there's really not much more I think I I can say other than than what we've covered, and just so much gratitude and thank you for for having me, and uh, just, just like really enjoyed the conversation and getting to know you
0: likewise, and thank you so much for being on and spending some time with us today. So uh, how can listeners contact you if they're interested?
1: So the best way to contact me is on LinkedIn. So um, send me a DM and I'm always happy to connect with people. And if I can help them in any way, i very, very open and, and happy to do that.
0: Amazing. So I'll definitely link below to your LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate having you on Adapia, Dorico, I mean, what an amazing conversation about mindfulness, capital, real estate investment, and I love just how the conversation just organically flowed and it was effortless. So, thank you so much for being on, I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free Ultimate Real Estate Goal Setting Framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal